Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to invite you to remain standing for the scripture passage. Today we're in Acts, and for most of the summer we'll be in Acts. Acts is a continuation of Luke, and today we'll hear the first five verses of uh, the book of Acts, and it may sound a little bit to you like previously on the amazing race. Here are the first five verses of Acts. Dear Theophilus, In the first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptized in water, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and soon. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. All right, let's start with a point of orientation. In the story of Jesus and the people of the way, these verses that we hear this morning put us in the time between Jesus' resurrection and ascension, or the time between Easter and Pentecost as we mark on the Christian calendar. We actually sit in that time on the Christian calendar today with Easter about a month behind us and Pentecost coming before us on June the 9th. As the resurrected Christ wanders around at the end of the Gospels and at the beginning of Acts, he's not immediately recognized by his followers. A couple of different times we are told that it is as if they are seeing a ghost, but there are a few solid clues. He shows his wounds from the crucifixion and eyes are open. He breaks bread. He eats with the disciples, and the mystery of his identity fades. And in the passage of Scripture we just read, we hear that Jesus says what he has always said. He has a favorite topic. He talks about the same stuff that he's always talked about. Now, one of the children in my home is easily recognizable by his favorite topic of conversation. You could disguise him for me. You could put sunglasses on him or a mustache or a mullet or a goatee or whatever. You could alter his voice, make it really low or really high, and I promise I would still recognize him by what he says when he enters the room because it's always the same thing. He always says when he enters a room in our house, where's dad? Where's dad? Now the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah always says the same thing. He always says the same thing in Luke and in Acts. Did you catch it? It was in verse three of our five verses this morning. He talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. 
the kingdom of God. Or I think it's theologically safe to say, where's dad? I do. That's what Jesus talks about. What is the father up to? How are you helping out? That's kingdom of God. And about the kingdom of God, the resurrected Christ says, wait, wait. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for what the father has promised. John baptized you in water. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit soon. So a quick side note about the Holy Spirit. The disciples are not waiting to meet a new acquaintance. The Holy Spirit is not being introduced on the scene for the first time. But the Holy Spirit has been around from the beginning, from creation, from Genesis chapter 1. And Acts chapter 1 verse 2 says that the Holy Spirit was also instrumental in choosing and teaching the disciples. So this is not wait to meet someone new, but it is wait. The instruction is to wait. Now, I had a couple of experiences of waiting this week. We had a high school graduation in our family Three graduates in our extended family, and well, it's been a while since I've been to a graduation, and I forgot how long it takes to read those names. It's like 30 seconds or so of intense excitement, and then two and a half hours of sitting and waiting. On that same lucky day, I had jury duty. So this is the first year in my life that I haven't been in school or had a child under the age of 12 when I was called for jury duty. So there were no exemptions for me, and I went. I'd been warned about how long I would sit in jury duty, so I arrived, I actually arrived early. At 7.45, I showed up in the basement of the county courthouse with a bag full of things to read. At 11 a.m., the name Dina Shelley was called, and hey, I'm no fool. I knew that was me. And so I walked upstairs with 29 other people to the third floor to sit and wait some more. At 11.45, the judge called us into the courtroom to tell us that we would now have a lunch break, and we would reconvene at 1.30. I have a friend or two in the courthouse, so I tracked one down, and we went to eat. I was back at 1.30 on the third floor where I waited in the hallway before being called into the courtroom, and then all 30 of us were quickly dismissed because the case settled over lunch. I was much helped this week by a book by an author named Tanya Marlowe, and the title of her book is Those Who Wait. Marlowe says that we all wait, that waiting is sown into our existence. We all do it, and for the most part, we all don't like it. Her own experience of waiting is waiting for physical healing, She has a chronic illness that has kept her housebound since the birth of her child, and that was nine years ago. For the most part, she spends her days in bed. She knows a thing or two about biding time, and she has taken that experience to the Bible, and she recognizes that many people in the Bible wait. Sarah waits for a home and a family. Isaiah and the prophets wait 
for justice and for peace. Mary waits for the birth of the Messiah child. And John the Baptist, who is mentioned in our verses today, waits to pursue his life's purpose. Remember the angel Gabriel in the first part of the Gospel of Luke tells Zechariah before John is born, your son will be a joy. He will be a joy and a delight to you and to many. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is born. He will make ready a people and prepare the way for the Lord. So Marlowe imagines what it would be like to grow up with that kind of pressure, with that kind of intense waiting. Can you imagine a young John the Baptist, everyone wanting to know him, to touch him? A joy and a delight to many, filled with the Holy Spirit, preparing the way of the Lord. Assuming that the word got out about John the Baptist among his community, it would be as if he was surrounded by spectators, not friends. People would ask him as a six-year-old, Are you Elijah? Can you tell me where the Messiah is? And I bet as a six-year-old, he didn't have much to say. It would be easy to speculate that John the Baptist disappointed listeners as a child, that maybe he offended them as a teenager and was the subject of gossip as a young adult. And so eventually he chose the dusty road, the dusty road to the desert and disappeared to wait some more gone to the wilderness to wait, because waiting is what the people of God do. You know, I'm beginning to think that the reason God's people wait is the very same reason that I hate it, and that is the loss of control. Oh, when I'm waiting, I like to pretend like I'm in charge, I can act like I'm in control when life has me waiting. I busy myself. Okay, so judge, you're going to tell me that I will sit in this basement and just wait for my name to be called. Then I'm going to make this room my library. And if my body doesn't move into action to do things, then my mind does. My mind moves into action, spelling out exactly what is to come, exactly what my expectations are. You know, I did that when our senior pastor, David McNitsky, announced last year that he would be moving because I had several months to wait for the news of who the new senior pastor would be. I imagined the typical United Methodist superhero for a large church, and that looks like a 40-year-old male. And I began to think of a slightly younger male pastor that I knew in Houston. And I had it narrowed down to, a two, to two or three guys that I know to a, to a short list. And you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong and I was surprised. And what I'm beginning to learn is that there's something quite good about being surprised. Being surprised is often a reminder of the presence and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It often is. But it always is a reminder that I'm not running this show all by myself. 
Theologian Will Willimon wrote, the things that really need doing in the world, they're beyond our ability to accomplish solely by our own effort, by our own programs, by our own crusades. When the disciples hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, and I think even in Acts, when they hear the resurrected Christ talk about the kingdom of God, they still don't get it. They hear kingdom, and they crave power, power for themselves. They're thinking, kick these Romans out of here and put us in charge of this place. They will, in fact, receive far-reaching power, but it won't be as kings and queens. It will instead be as witnesses, witnesses to the ends of the earth of a new kind of kingdom, an image of God that was new to me this week from Tanya Marlowe was that God is often a late comer. God shows up late. That makes me chuckle a little bit because when I roll in late to a meeting or to work, uh, well, this morning it was because of a wardrobe malfunction, but sometimes often it's because I'm just so busy. I have so much to do. And you know, I'm convinced that neither of those, wardrobe malfunction or being so busy, are issues for the triune God. I think the late coming God is simply making space for me. This life is a partnership. I'm not an automaton and I'm not an autocrat. It's as if when I'm waiting, God is saying, Dinah, while you wait, I bet that some really good priorities are going to crystallize, that you'll remember that you need me to accomplish the things that are really worth doing. Waiting is uncomfortable, but it's also an opportunity to set my priorities straight. I also want you to know that inherent in waiting is the element of hope because we have this recognition that God will, in fact, set things straight. God's kingdom will come completely one day. So we hope for that. Our little day-to-day, month-to-month waits echo this larger wait that God will put things right, that the kingdom of God will be complete, that suffering and death and sickness and the separation of sin, those things will come to an end. So we hope. We hope in our smaller weights. We recognize that God is good, and we lean into discomfort. I have a list for you. It's a slide, a list that comes from Tanya Marlowe's book. Things that you might be waiting for. What you're waiting for right now might be on this list or it might not. But I want to give you a few seconds to consider this list, to think about what it is that's suspended in your life right now. And then I want to invite you to sit in that wait during a time of meditation. I want to invite you to lean into the discomfort, but I also want to invite you to look for the hope. Where is the hope in this?
Will you pray with me? Eternal God, you are the source of all that is good. You are the creator, God. And so as we wait this day, Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to be present with us as we lean into discomfort and as we search for hope. Open our eyes. It's in the name of Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen.